Welcome back to From Kabul to Kent with me, Michael Goldfarb. It's the story of Ali, his life in Britain, and the world he left behind in Afghanistan. Since coming to Britain, Ali has found himself working with the MOD. They're on maneuvers all over Salisbury Plain. The 4th Battalion of the Royal Scottish Regiment is deploying to Afghanistan shortly, and now the troops are getting cultural training. We're bouncing over a dirt track towards a replica of a forward operating base in Afghanistan, and it's surrounded by Afghans in traditional dress. Full name is Akbar Yan Andarabi. Akbar is overseeing today's exercise, a shura, or council, about a claim for back rent from the British Army. So here we are, we're in the middle of the plain, and I see a, a camp, right? I've got razor wire and blast walls, pretty much what you would expect to see in Afghanistan, except for maybe the trees and the extremely green grass, and a bunch of Afghans dressed in traditional dress, carrying weapons, and they're kind of hanging around. But you say this is all part of the role play. Uh, yes, it is. So they are villagers who are waiting for the outcome of that shura. And then whether they will be cheering or jeering is something uh, that we will find out in the next 45 minutes, hopefully. Okay. We walked into the camp, and all over, little scenes were being played out. An officer was talking to the press about the council. Um, you're going, gone in a week. Um, is that still on, on schedule? Uh, my, my element will be gone within a week. Uh, there are other, other forces in the area which will continue to provide the support uh, to the Afghan National Security Forces as necessary. But increasingly, we find that the, uh, the forces here are, are more than up for the job, more than ready for the job. They're well-trained, they're well-equipped. The support they need from us is, is very limited. What will be left of the base when you leave? Inside a large tent, the role play of Ashura was getting quite heated as the British commander, he's real, and the Afghan leader, he's not, argued about money. If he's not happy, if you're not happy, if you're not happy, go and complain to the district governor. But I've paid you the money. I've paid you the money. Meanwhile, by the compound gate, the squaddies are being kept on alert. Hey, hey, stay in position for now. Wait. Eventually, the shura ends with the Afghans feeling satisfied. The final bit of the scenario plays out. The squaddies try and clear the Afghans from the road. Right, lads, the vehicles are going to get in, so you need to push them to the crowds and push them back. On another part of the plane, a group of Afghans are in an office organizing the tremendous logistics for keeping the show on the road. Ali is among them. Okay, Steve. Is this your office? Uh, well, yes, I, I work in this office. Yeah. I'm uh, in charge of the transport. I'm right. managing transport in this uh, camp. I'm responsible to make sure everyone deployed on certain times uh, 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 given by the army. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Mick Aston. I command the field training unit on Salisbury Plain, which is responsible for uh, combined arms training, but also mission-specific training preparing units for Afghanistan. When I spent the morning watching a variety of different scenarios, I was really impressed. And immediately I wanted to know, how did you create them? Well, what we do is we, we form a team of people who write the scenario. 
but everything that you saw is the reality of theatre, of what's happening in Afghanistan and what British troops are experiencing. And we send that team out there to hoover up all of that information, the themes, the activities, and we turn those into training events. And we're fortunate to have people like the role players you saw come in and we give them a, we give them a fairly loose script. Sometimes we have, to con- we have to give them a very specific script. But what you saw was the sixth iteration of that exercise. How often does the team go out to Afghanistan and observe? I mean, presumably they're noting changes on the ground, changes in the interactions between British soldiers and the locals in Afghanistan. The specific team that, that you would have seen, they were out there getting all of that awareness three weeks before we wrote the exercise. So they're out there fairly regularly, a couple of times a year. You've served a tour in Afghanistan. I've served two tours in Afghanistan. I was a company commander in the Sangin Valley in 2007 and I commanded a 1,500-strong battle group in the Nadi Ali district of Helmand last year. And before your deployment, did you go through these exercises, this kind of exercise? Yes, we did. Very similar exercises, yes. As a commanding officer, what is the value to you for having the troops under your command go through this kind of training? It brings a degree of realism to the training that you can't replicate in any other way. And, and all of our training is, is geared about closing the gap between what we understand and our skills uh, that we have here in the UK before we're faced with those challenges in operations. And anything you can do, even if they're small incremental gains, such as having Afghan role players to not quite immerse, but try to bring those frictions and realities and then all of the cultural aspects to life before we get to theater, it will make our soldiers better prepared. The Ministry of Defense contracts the preparation for these exercises to a private firm called Mabway. I'm Mark O'Reilly and I work for Mabway. What is it exactly that you're doing? We are actually creating, in terms of this particular exercise we're on now, a small part of Afghanistan in Wiltshire, so to speak, or other parts of the country, in order that the forces before they deploy out there have a chance to interact with and start to learn and understand the culture and customs of what they will meet when they you know, go to Afghanistan, whether it's Helmand or Kabul or whatever. Realism is everything. Ali joined us as Mark O'Reilly took out a tablet computer to show me pictures of just how realistic things are at their camp in Norfolk, where Mabway has built a whole village with market and mosque. This is a village on the training area in Stanta, um, which is where we can play, you know, a large village of about, you know, up to 100 people in it, boys and girls, and there we, we cook in it and we provide all the sort of infrastructure that forces, if they went through Helmand, would, would experience. You've got people in Afghan dress. Absolutely. It's, I mean, like, it's like any market street you would find anywhere, frankly, between Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, I've, I've seen these places. Ali, come over here. How accurate and authentic do you think this is? Well, that place particularly, it's just fantastic. I mean, I've been there uh, many, many times for the last few years, and I've found it so incredible. Does it look like home to you? Absolutely, but it looks a bit more tidy, <laughs> right? But we have, uh, obviously, that, that picture taken from the other side of the area, but obviously we have a broken wall all over. You have broken walls, I mean... Yeah. Uh, except the mosque wall. Except the mosque wall. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. So it looks like it's rough and ready, but the only thing that's missing really is a lot of dirt and dust blowing. Absolutely. And yeah. chickens. And, and chickens. Chickens and pigeons and things like that. But we did look at that, but it was very difficult to make, you know, to look after them properly. 
We've got people who are retired generals, people who are ex-police from Helmand, who understand and advise and role-play senior-level stuff, who interact with the senior officers you know, who are going out. We have doctors, I mean, it's, uh, people with two degrees, uh, people who speak three or four languages, and never mind, just passion. Actors. Yeah, actresses, actors. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole, it's absolutely, it's another community living within the, it's absolutely fantastic. And they bring all of those parts to play. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And they know what they're talking about. Did you ever put on an Afghan dress and, and role play? I have done it, yes. Yeah? Yeah. What uh, was that like? It's all right. I mean, just to be honest, when I was in Afghanistan, I never wore Afghan dress. Because I was a, I was a kid, you know, and I never liked it, in a way. Oh, so, so you were wearing Western dress. Yeah, in the and then I end up wearing an Afghan dress over here in Britain. <laughs> You're listening to From Kabul to Kent on BBC Radio Five Live. Ali's nostalgia tour around Kent continued in Canterbury at the Kent Refugee Action Network's Riverside Project, set up to help kids who arrive in Britain without parents or adults. It's the successor organization to the one which helped Ali when he arrived on his own, age 16, in 2001. This is Michael, he's from the BBC, and this is Ali. Ali's interested in talking to, I would think, about how he came over here 12 years ago. And he's still here. He's still here, and he's got citizenship papers. Uh, so he has a testimony. I'll call that, that, I'll call that a testimony, yeah? and he maybe wanted to share that with you. The teacher of the class was a woman called Jess. What are you doing now, Jess? Uh, we're doing an ASDAN class. So ASDAN is a, a national qualification that's also taught in schools, and it's something that we offer here as a recognised qualification that they can get, um, which they can then use to help them get into college and um, in the future. The group almost all boys, around 16 or 17, were as awkward as any group of teenaged young men, not overly impressed by the visitors. A girl from Eritrea wanted to find out more. How was your English when you came to this country? I did not know English at all. You, you speak good now. <laughs> I'm all right, I'm getting there eventually, yeah. <laughs> you don't know where you're going. You don't know if you're going anywhere. But if you listen to this, this man, he can tell you that there is a way and it's not all bad news. There are ups and downs, okay, in front of you. Life is challenging. There are many opportunities, okay, on the way for you guys. It all depends on you to grab them and don't let go. Because once you grab the opportunity, okay, you will get there. And make sure, okay, you are kind of working in a community as much as you can. I worked many communities in all over Britain and we established a great network. You're gonna meet a lot of people, okay, from different backgrounds. There are many opportunities will come in your way and make sure you grab them. Is your family happy for you now? Because I think when you first came, they was worried what is gonna happen with you if you come in a new country alone. I have no family. I mean, most of you guys are very lucky. You probably are in touch with your families, okay? You know where your daddy mom is. You got citizenship? Yes, I've got citizenship, yeah. What, is, what is citizenship? It's you became a British, okay? You are not Afghan anymore? Uh, yes, I am Afghan-British. Afghan? Yes. <laughs> Put it this way, okay? I was born in Afghanistan, okay? Right. In a village 
far away from here, miles, okay, a thousand miles away from here, okay, and I spend the most fantastic times, okay, of my age in England. I've grown up here, okay, this is my home. What did I have to do to be African Britain citizenship? What did I have to do? Okay, simply, you gotta, good, you gotta be a good person. Just good person? You gotta be a good person. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you guys. What do you think when you go into a place like this again? Oh, does it bring back memories? Oh, Michael, I mean, it, it's just brilliant to be here yeah. and to see these kids and obviously those people working here greatly. I mean, can you recall, can you remember yeah. when you first went into a similar kind of yeah. yeah. What was that like? Can you remember what was going through your head? I mean, were you exhausted? Did you give in to your exhaustion? At the time, I was over the moon. I was great to be in that place and claim asylum and telling myself, yep, look, this is what you wanted. Okay, this is what the safe place is for you. Okay, there are many opportunities. You gotta get on. But on the other hand, I didn't know what's going to be next stage. And the reason for that was uh, because I didn't know any English. I didn't know anything about British culture. I wonder if you could explain what it's like inside your head when you, ha you have all these words, but they're in Farsi. You want to say something, but you can't say something because you don't know what to say. Oh, my God. It was, it was the worst thing ever. I experienced, because I, I, I had a lot to say at the time, but I couldn't say. Uh, I was looking for sympathy, but I couldn't actually show anyone that I was looking for sympathy, because that was a language barrier. And in my mind, it was killing me. Did you ever just lose it? Many times, many times, yeah. Did you ever, like, just hit out? Did you break down and cry? Yeah, I, I was quiet, just sitting in the corner and crying. And a uh, uh, few, few times there was a lady, I believe it was called Sue, okay, in Dansville. Uh, she came and hold me. And that was when I remember my mom uh, holding me when I was a kid. My name's Ken, Kenneth Birkin. I'm a priest, an Anglican priest in the Church of Uganda. What is the reality that they bring with them? We hear some very bad stories of, uh, of rape and shooting, and uh, we know that some of them who have been taken into the detention centre have been put on suicide alert because they, uh, they fear. They're unaccompanied asylum-seeking children. They came here on their own. It took some of them three, four or more years to get here, and then they finally arrive and it wasn't the picture that was painted for them. If it wasn't for the voluntary sector for these kids, I don't know what would uh, come of some of them. Well, I do, they would disappear into the black economy. To find out the hard facts about asylum seekers in the UK, you have to ask the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, the UNHCR. My name is Andrei Mahicic. I'm the UNHCR spokesperson in London. Refugee outflow from Afghanistan what has the picture been over the last 15 or 20 years? 
the picture has been very grim. The picture of Afghanistan's uh, refugee population has been very grim. And in fact, Afghanistan is holding quite an unfavorable title of being a record refugee producing country for more than 30 years. Today, we are looking at 2.5 to 2.7 million Afghans living as refugees, again, mostly in the neighboring Iran and Pakistan. How many make it to Europe? Uh, 95% of Afghans live as refugees in the neighboring countries. So Europe is receiving only a fraction of, of that number. Um, some tens of thousands make it into, into Europe in the end. It's a long journey. It's a journey that sometimes takes weeks, months, but in some cases it takes from five to nine years for people to reach Europe. And it is a, a dangerous and a long trip, fraught with risks, um, harassment, human rights abuses, and so on. Migration from Afghanistan to the UK, Mahachich points out, is characterized by the large numbers of children who arrive, like Ali, unaccompanied by an adult. There is a disproportionately high percentage of asylum applications being made by the Afghan children in the UK. It is twice as one would expect in any other refugee situation. What do you think the reason is for that? Clearly, there is a combination of reasons. There are these established routes from Afghanistan or from that part of Central Asia into Europe. There are clearly interests also of those who are smuggling people to uh, make the most out of it and charge the highest fee for the longest journey. So uh, while perhaps and this is all based on anecdotal evidence, the cost of the journey from Afghanistan to Turkey is about $3,000. The trip to the final destination in Western Europe could add up to ten dollars or $15,000. Uh, so there is that element. There is clearly the element of those who are fleeing the insecurity and potential risks for them in Afghanistan. But there is also the misconceptions that perhaps are being peddled by the smuggler circles whose interest is to extort the maximum possible amount of money from people. However hard your journey, once you're in Britain, you survive by finding a community. Ali has a tight network of Afghan homeboys who made it into Britain around the same time he did. Hello, Michael. Hey, Ali. Well, I'm just introducing my friends here. OK, this is Farid. Hey, Farid. Oh, hi, Michael. Nice, nice to meet you. Yeah. And he's uh, one of Afghan uh, musician in London. And we have Bashir here. Hey, Bashir. Nice Hello to meet you. Hello there, Michael. Nice to meet you, too. We are no la makona i bulbulima Ketu dori sada we have a, a few album out on the market at the moment, which is uh, almost our songs, which is coming out, is about uh, our homeland country, about our people, what's going on in Afghanistan, what situation they are living over there, uh, the good side of the message, which is we pass to the Afghan community. <laughs> The lyrics saying, I sought everywhere, every country, every place like I've been, and the people are happy. They're helping each other. But I'm looking to my own people back in Afghanistan, which is uh, killing. The other part saying, 
look, people, wake up. We are in a different life. If you go outside of your land, outside of your country, you will see people, how they live, how they happy, how they help each other, how they try to build their own country. We are exactly the same human being. You are exactly the same human being. You should do the, exactly the same things, the same job. Your future, your country's future, your eldest future on your hand. The guys have recorded the song professionally. Bashar whipped out his smartphone, hooked up to the web and played it for me. But you haven't had time to do a video yet. Uh, no, the video is not yet ready, but we will uh, make the video, but the music is already. So he, you're here, but because of this technology, you can talk directly back to Afghanistan. I mean, I mean, this is extraordinary. This is the only weapon which is we have is a music to show to the Afghan people what sort of uh, life they need to live. Do you know how many people have viewed your videos that have been put up at uh, YouTube? The, uh, What's the most popular one? The, uh, the popular one which has been with is uh, over 500,000 people and uh, 600,000, some of them, on the uh, YouTube. This is a very powerful weapon for you. Well, it, it is definitely. I mean, uh, I always talk to these guys. Uh, I always send this message that uh, every single of us uh, need to feel the responsibility towards the homeland and, and do our bits. And especially for these guys, they are musicians and they've got the power in their hands. Hello everyone, and uh, my name is uh, Gargasht. It's actually, I'm saying it very English way, Gargasht. Gargasht is a more recent arrival, and he has set up Afghan Voice Radio, which he runs out of the box room in his flat in a London suburb. The station streams music and talk on the internet 24-7 in English, Pashtun, and Dari. Uh, hello, yeah. Michael hello. from BBC Five. Yeah. Nawabi. Nice to meet you. Farima Nawabi. Safia. Um, Ariadne. Carry on. Shall we start after the next song? That's um, about five minutes. No, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Salam and Ramadan Mubarak. Uh, welcome to the very first uh, show of Women's World, a show for and by Afghan women from all over the world. Uh, I'm your host, my name is Ariana, and the main host for you today is uh, Safia. And then today our show will be about women in Afghanistan after 2014, our worries and our hopes. And I'll pass you on to Safia. Salam, dostan aziz. Bawalin banamay radihi jahanatan So while they're on the air, you're tweeting. Yes, I'm tweeting and also in general on social media network, on our fans page, trying to reach out more listeners and fans to know about what the show is on air, what they are talking about. Where do your shows reach? Just in the UK or where? It reaches where the internet is. Anywhere if they've got internet in, uh, in Afghanistan, in the United States, in Britain, wherever they have access to internet, so our listeners can find out through internet. And why are you doing this? <laughs> Good question. Why I'm doing this? Uh, there are many reasons why I'm doing this, you know. Uh, 
personal reasons, I started with struggling with lots of problems to take my voice out for help, and and I couldn't reach medias. Actually, I contacted them, but the response wasn't that then this is not in their interest that they should give me a platform to speak out on, on through them or or at least cover stories that are in our communities. And the other key measure, I would say, is the needs of Afghan foreign organization like this. We need a platform where we can talk, where we can discuss, where we can bring young Afghans to speak their minds. While we were talking, the show came to an end. Are you finished? Yeah. When did you finish? One, 1.45, I think. Oh, you didn't go for a full hour. You ran out of things to talk about. No, I haven't. I can talk forever. Okay. <laughs> After all, I'm a woman. Yeah, oh, see, I'm glad you said that. If I said I'm that, I could So what were you talking about today, then? We were talking about women, their life condition now, the security situation in Afghanistan, and mostly focusing beyond 2014, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. If the Afghan women really can achieve something or still keep, at least keep the achievements they have got in the last decade. Patriotism to Britain and to Afghanistan. That's the feeling that comes off these new Brits. They're not ashamed of where they were born. I think about Afghanistan, uh, even though I've grown up in this country and I'm proud to be here and this is my home. But uh, bear in mind, I was born in that country, and I think, I feel like I have some kind of responsibility. I've been the luckiest one, I think. I am very amazed where I am compared to back in my country. I just look forward. Don't forget to put your watches backward one hour and to drive on the left, not the leave of the tunnel. From Kabul to Kent was a certain hype production for BBC Radio 5 Live.